Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Backbench Drivers. I'm your host, John Lawson, and joining me for the first time ever is Tyler Russell. He's an American slash Canadian political dissident. He's part of the America First movement, uh, which is one of the preeminent dissident right movements in the world right now. And he's joining us to discuss some important topics, specifically talking about tactics. And there's been a lot of discussion about this, especially in the Australian dissident rights scene recently, about what kind of tactics should we be using? Should we be doing rallies in the streets? Should we be putting up stickers on lampposts? Will this deliver the political revolution that we're looking for? Or should we be getting involved in politics and the major parties, even though they're not aligned with what we believe? Um, unfortunately, my co-host Matthew wasn't able to join us this week, but um, welcome Tyler. Thank you for coming along to have a chat. Hey, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking I don't know if it's just on my end, but you've gone a bit quiet. Oh, um, is, is that better? Yeah, that sounds much okay, better. Thank sweet. you. Yeah. So, um, could you just repeat what you just said? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't quite um, hear it. Thank you very much for having me. I think that, um, this has been a hot button issue for the past couple months. And I think that it's a very important discussion to have, especially as our distant ideas continue, continue to uh, grow here, um, all around the Western world. So, um, I think that it's going to be a pretty interesting discussion. Well, yeah, it's sort of two topics. It's what our ideas are and then how we convert this into actually delivering, you know, the countries that we want all around the world. Um, I understand that you've been uh, involved in Canada before you were involved in America in politics. Um, You were the host of Canada First uh, live stream. And then you also led a political movement over there. Um, But when you found out that it wasn't going to be possible to make change, you moved to America and now you're pursuing it over there. Could you just give us a short history of your timing politics? For sure, yeah. Um, so it kind of started for me in 2019. Um, you know, I was kind of looking around the world, and I was I was definitely a fan of Trump. Um, I just I wasn't too involved in politics. I wasn't too interested in politics. I liked what he had to say, and then I started to find characters. Um, like Faith Goldie, like Nick Fuentes. And it just kind of completely changed my thoughts on, on everything. And I got involved with the People's Party of Canada. Um, they were founded in 2018. And I started to volunteer and, and uh, do, do some work around Toronto for them um, in about 2019. And um, shortly after that, in 2020, I started my own show, Canada First. And, um, you know, with with that show, we aim to um, give the youth of Canada a voice on the political stage. And, you know, I did that for um, about two years and have some crazy stories from it. I do think that we made a change in Canada. Um, specifically within the distant right wing, kind of um, showing people, showing young people that they can do stuff, that they can get involved and gain experience. Um, 
But ultimately, you know, as as you guys are dealing with down in Australia, it's just I kind of came to the conclusion that, yeah, you know, we have the ideas we can, um, you know, get out there and door knock and run campaigns and do all of this political stuff. But um, the the rot just goes so deep that really change has to come from America. So um, that's when I joined up with America First. Um, it kind of came full circle because, you know, obviously with Canada First, I was, um, you know, kind of doing the whole uh, Nick, Nick Fuentes thing anyway. So kind of came full, cir- full circle, uh, joined up with America First and started to do some AF content. Um, first, when I started to do AF content, um, it was on Cozy. So I started off on D Live with Canada first, AF content on Cozy. And then, um, you know, I was in Florida for a bit. Um, I did the Yay is Right stuff with Dalton, uh, Claude Felter. Um, I'm sure that some of your uh, listeners might know who he is. And um, I've done a bunch of different speaking gigs at various colleges and campuses around America, um, supporting AF as well. And uh, now I'm in Chicago. So that's kind of the short rundown there. Yeah, and your time in Canada ended in a very cinematic, climatic way. You had the trucker protests, and uh, I think we all saw the footage from that. I was watching your live stream when you were running it, um, and it it was very, uh, you know, all the flags, and you were on the Capitol Hill and all of that. It was great imagery, um, and it it sort of really, uh, I guess, was a good signing off note, I suppose, for you to leave, because you said that there's just, if this doesn't work out, there's not really any other method by which you're going to be able to deliver change. I think we're in a bit of a different situation here um, where it's not quite as bad in terms of censorship um, as it is in Canada or was in Canada when you left. Um, so there, there are some other opportunities here then that you might not have had over there. Um, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about the People's Party of Canada. Why do you think that that didn't receive the kind of success that uh, initially supporters might have thought it would have received or you might have thought? Um. Yeah, I mean... Um, I think, I think that I had a bit of a naive, um, outlook, uh, back in 2019, you know, I was just kind of getting really involved in politics, um, all these new ideas, all these new people that, that I'm kind of meeting. And, um, it's extremely hard for a young party to just kind of start up and go and take over, um, of course, you know, it, it was going to take decades um, to really get a brand new party off the ground. And Canada just didn't have decades. Um, you know, when you're taking a look at, at, uh, at immigration, Canada, via all of the avenues, are bringing in 1.4. It's like 1.2 to 1.4 million immigrants per year with a population at the time of just under 40. So it's like... Um, you're not going to beat the demographic clock with the brand new party. And then, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned the trucker convoy, um, a couple of years after the party was founded, uh, the trucker convoy happened and, um, you know, love very, you know, I, I, I love a lot of people within the PPC, but there just wasn't enough of a presence at the convoy to really take that over and, turn it into a PPC message. And um, I think that there was a failure to capitalize on that. 
And then after that happened and Trudeau called uh, the Emergencies Act, um, that just changed everything because we did have one sitting um, member of provincial parliament who was out there with us, Randy Hillier, who was awesome. And um, right, right after the trucker convoy, they hit him with like nine charges that were just like total BS. You know, I was with them for um, the majority of the time down there in Ottawa. And they said that he assaulted a police officer when he obviously didn't. I mean, like a sitting MPP assaulting a police officer. I was there for the supposed, uh, I'm using air quotes right now for any listeners, um, assault. And um, he moved a barrier. He moved a barrier because there were so many people who were, um, you know, walking up onto Parliament Hill. He just made it easier for people to get in. Um, And that was assaulting a police officer somehow. So, you know, they, they just made up all these lies. They charged sitting M- MPPs, um, and I still believe that he's fighting uh, those charges today. Um, and then it was just kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? There's this new guy, Pierre Polyev, um, who just became the leader of the Conservative Party up in Canada, and he's like the typical, uh, you know, like Ziocon, like Malay uh, figure. Um and definitely a part of this whole network of these newer populist Inc type uh, leaders that are popping up in uh, many different countries around the world. And um, he just stole a bunch of the thunder, you know, people wanted Trudeau out and they didn't really care who it was, you know, anybody who was going to do it, they were going to support. And um, you know, with the party being so young, only getting around 5% of the vote back in the 2021 election. It's, it was just too little too late, I think. And um, it's very unfortunate because there are some good people within the PPC that are hardworking, that totally get it. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, it was just a little bit too little too late. And the government came in and they just cracked down on any dissidents um, in Canada. Yeah, right. Um, I think we've seen that everywhere. We've seen that with Trump, most notably, but also even here when we had a successful minor party that was springing up in the 80s and 90s, Pauline Hanson's One Nation, they threw her in prison for electoral uh, shenanigans, but in the end she was let out because there was no evidence that wasn't actually true. Um, obviously, she her party's declined and it's not uh, exactly what it once was, but it's a, a, a example worth pointing out. Um, I also wanted to mention with your um, time in Canada, um, in terms of like protesting and stuff like that, do you think that delivered the change that you want? Because one thing I've noticed is that um, is that there really is no generational dissent, dissident right. I don't know if we can really call it that. That's more of a relatively new term. But there's no generation dissident right in our countries where generation upon generation there's been an increase and we could have a voting block that could actually rival the major parties. It seems like each generation they start again because the previous generation just went too radical, crashed and burned, and there's just nothing left over. They got involved in risky tactics. They went outside the law. Um, Did you have much of this in Canada? Because we've had things such as the Australia First Party and lots of wignats in the past that have 
uh, really achieved nothing and left us uh, worse off or with no progress compared to where we started? Um, there, I, I don't think that there was anything um, too similar to that. You know, there was the Reform Party up in Canada um, that, start, that started to pop off in the 90s. And um, a lot of the current day conservatives come from that party, like Stephen Harper. Um, but, you know, I, I think that when it comes to the generational divide here, I think that um, a lot of the older wingnats of the past, you know, the Gen X wingnats or even some of the older millennial wingnats, um, of course, the, the boomer uh, white nationalists and stuff, I think that... Um, that ideology within their generation was just like so foreign because it wasn't so bad and things hadn't kind of completed their course. Uh, you know, the, the globalists haven't taken hold yet. Um, and I think that with Gen Z, this is the first generation that it is just so obvious and so in your face that you're starting to see these new tactics and better optics arise with these, uh, more alternative right wing ideas, um, you know. In 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 the past, you had like the skinheads and you had like the biker gangs and and all that type of thing. And then now with Gen Z uh, kind of rising to the occasion, you're starting to get okay. We're going to you know wear suits and we're going to get jobs in politics and you know change um, everything. You know it get get right into the institutions infiltrate the institutions get into you know positions of power uh within the media and it's this totally different tactic this totally different mindset that i think uh gen z just had the right environment to kind of um breed and um you know it, it's it's totally different it's radically different but it's also kind of drawing on what a lot of the uh, communists did back in the sixties, right? It's like, okay, they had a goal. They wanted to get, uh, more power within government and they infiltrated and they did that. And I think that it is the most effective route to go down. Um, you know, I don't think that you're going to see many Gen Z kids get involved in biker gangs or wear like white laces on their doc Martins anytime soon. I think that we kind of recognize that, um, the real power doesn't lie with being a part of like a street gang. It lies within the halls of Congress. You know, it, 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 it lies within being in government, being in media, being a rich lawyer, um, being a millionaire. And that's how you're going to truly, you know, get our ideas into the mainstream and push them to the mass population, which I mean, I think subconsciously agrees with us anyways, even if they won't say it, um, Things have just become so overt now that um, they're starting to see what's going on. And um, they have to kind of be pushed in the right direction. And for that to happen, that voice has to come from powerful people, not just, you know, some street gang. Well, yeah, and it's very mutually exclusive, the street gang sort of approach. Um, and actually getting involved in politics because, of course, if you're ever exposed as a member of one of these said gangs, whether it's more of an activist group like Patriot Front or National Socialist Network over here in Australia, or if it's uh, if it's something a little bit, if it's even more criminal than that, you've just got no hope of ever actually getting involved in politics. 
Now, um, recently we saw the arrest of Thomas Rousseau, who is the leader of Patriot Front. We've seen the arrest in the UK of Sam Melia, who was a prominent pa- uh, patriotic alternative uh, activist, and he was highly involved in that, and that's sort of a equivalent activist group over there in the UK. And we've had various, um, you know, break uh, people having their bro- doors broken down, getting arrested from the National uh, Socialist Network over here in Australia. And so with all these things come criminal records, come, uh, you know, doxing, come, you know, getting your name and family's home address listed on Antifa doxing sites and, and attack sites. We had someone firebombed from the National Socialist Network by Antifa, presumably, and the police didn't really do anything about it. Um, so we compare that to what you guys have been doing with with America First over in America, and we do occasionally hear of people being found out as being a member of the Republican Party and being kicked out as a result of that. But I imagine for everyone that gets found out, you've got another 10 or 100 that are embedded within the party and are slowly climbing the ladder into actually having proper influence. What do you make of the criticism that any power that you might have within the major parties can be taken away from you at any point and that you're becoming reliant on this system? Um, I mean, yeah, you're, you're totally correct that, you know, sometimes people get, um, quote, like found out um, as being too dissident uh, within politics. Um, but I think that that's just going to happen. Um, you know, I think that that comes with the territory. And um, just because some people get found out doesn't mean that we're not going to try, you know. Um, people get called out for having dissident ideas all the time. And, um, you know, obviously I, I don't like what's happening to Rousseau or I'm, I'm not too sure about the guy in, um, um, in the down under, um, I, I've, I've never heard of him before, but, um, I would presume that he shouldn't have been arrested. I don't think that any of these, um, more like Wignatish characters should be arrested, um, for having these, these distant ideas and they're clearly being targeted. Um, but I don't think that, um, you know, the, the way to fix that is to do more of what they're doing. It's like, um, yeah, some of our guys are going to get found out. It is what it is. It sucks. It doesn't even like mean that they're going to, um, be down and out forever. You know, there's, um, obviously guys that can make comebacks when we gain more power down the line, they can be re re reintegrate, reintegrated. Right. Um, so I just, I don't really see, um, any point to that argument. I think that it just kind of comes with the territory of being in politics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that you did also have, once you were in America with Dalton Clodfelter, you had the Yay's Right stores that you set up on uni campuses. Um, this is more of a public-facing sort of a outreach approach, you could say, an activist sort of in some ways. Why do you see that as different from some of these more traditional approaches of getting in the streets and yelling at passerbys about how the white race needs your help and stuff like that? Sure, yeah. Um, so I... There's kind of two things here. Um, one is the college campus activism, I think, is very different from, um, you know, doing some kind of public display on a public street. Um, 
and two for the yeah is right thing that was more so you know for content it wasn't uh you know for the gop or um really any kind of like um well there 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 definitely was like a serious you know political message it was to talk about um this group of people who are influencing our world but it, it was more so for the content you know we we want to make a point with the show itself and say hey like you know yay is saying these things we agree it's both true and funny and you know dalton and i we were streamers and we did a lot of content together and um so i i'd, I'd view that more so as content than um maybe like a more serious political message um there, there definitely was um you know some good political conversation that was had with people who would sit down with us but um i i, I think that there was um an element of uh light-hearted fun that came along with it and you know if you take um like the blood tribe and you compare and contrast what dalton and i did um, we were talking about um, roughly the same issue, except we just did it in a way more palatable, fun, interesting way than walking down the street in Nashville, you know, calling people, um, you know, N-words and screaming at people and like scaring little children. You know, we set up a table on a college campus um, in free speech zones and talked about um this insane pop culture um you know time um where the greatest rock star ever was talking about this crazy idea of fascism right so um i i think that um those two things were just handled completely differently and um i i i think that anybody who watched the episodes of yeah is right could understand the difference and understand that different tactic of okay this is going to be content we're going to go to this college campus we're going to sit down with students versus let's you know wave nazi flags in the street and yell at kids and it was fantastic content it was really entertaining um i look at the blood tribe sort of stuff and even the national socialist networks uh, activism over here and it just, uh, it's grotesque to me. I never would have gotten involved in disarray or learnt about these ideas, this sort of politics, if it had been sold to me by these guys. It's only because Nick Fuentes came out and he said it in, in an articulate manner and he said it, you know, cogently. He walked through the worldview. He didn't, you know, yell out a slogan or something like that. And he didn't look like a retard. He didn't look like, you know, he was dropped as a child. And, uh, and he never recovered. So I've got Dalton here. He was uh, he helped you out with Yeah, He's Right, and I know you host a uh, podcast together sometimes. Uh, Dalton, did you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have uh, long, but I, I just something stood out to me. Um, I don't know what the question was, but in regards to like this activism versus like kind of having fun and making content, uh, Yay is Right. I think as far as it went for like activism, really was. Um, just establishing presence. And sorry, I have a white strip and I'm whitening my teeth. Um, <laughs> I sound like yay with the titanium teeth. Um, but it was just establishing presence on college campuses to, and this was sort of a byproduct of it, but um, tell others that the idea isn't as taboo 
or as weird or as out there and crazy as the mainstream would like you to believe it is, um, even within, you know, the mainstream conservative uh, uh, sphere. So for us, you know, yeah, we got great content out of it. We went and talked to kids and, and college students our age and the conversations were great. But at the end of the day, I, I think Tyler and I, and I I don't want to speak for Tyler on this, but I I felt this way for sure. Going into a college campus with the opinions that we had saying the things that we were going to say, I don't think that either of us were necessarily expecting the kids or the people there to, that were going like, they were going to change their minds like crazy. Like I wasn't expecting every conversation I had to be this, uh, awakening or, or whatever. It was more so um, getting our people excited. And then hopefully we get some onesies and twosies out there that fucking, that, that hear what we have to say and we have a good conversation with them. And then maybe they change their minds. Maybe they look into it. But that wasn't the mission, right? The mission was to, to I think, establish presence, as I said, to have conversations and to create content off of those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And even better than that was the people we disagreed and wouldn't change their mind. The ones that would yell at you and, you know, that was great for clips and short videos, very entertaining stuff. Um, I know that you like the the confrontation, Dalton, so that wouldn't have been any problem for you whatsoever. I loved it. Um, it. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And then you had the journalist show up to your house, didn't you, asking for an interview? He was uh, stalking you guys? Yeah. Is that correct around that time? I'll tell part of this and then I want to throw it to Tyler because he has a different perspective than well yeah yeah he has a different perspective kind of than what i do so we were doing a, a show we were doing a stream on cozy and at the time um i think we were doing it in the mornings so i think this was kind of early in the afternoon or something and uh the journalist showed up outside my door and my wife answers and she's like no i don't you know we're not we don't talk to reporters because that's what i said i said go out there tell them we don't talk to reporters and then, uh, Tyler, were you at the house at that time or were you out with the other guys? Um, so, so I was out at the office with, okay. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. Sam so- and Nate and, and, um, and then you called us and we're just like, yo, this reporter is here, like get over here. So then we, you know, packed up some cameras and we, uh, whipped right on over and sure enough. Yeah. There's, um, I, I forget the guy's name. Um, I can still picture his his journo face though. His, his smug little face. His smug little journo face, and uh, his his camera guy was standing across the street for some reason. Um, and then it just kind of went from there, and uh, they ended up posting like the entire like twenty minute clip onto their news site, like their evening news channel, and it was just like funny like quite clearly we were just kind of like goofing on him and not taking him seriously and they thought oh this makes us look great and um it it did not i I mean i don't think that it made him look great i think that it um just kind of furthered our points of like why is this such a taboo topic like it's clearly true um yeah like we're probably edgy or whatever but what we're saying is like reality <laughs> and um so you know i it, it does suck that they showed up at, at dalton's house but um i i think that 
you know, that happening just kind of furthered her point and it made um, that whole saga, that whole yay is right, um, you know, um, event that, 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 that whole yay is right project uh, even more successful. Yeah, and uh, it was you guys handled it really well. You pulled out your own camera, didn't you? And you started harassing him back. That was pretty funny. Um, but I think this brings us on to an important topic as well. Um, I wanted to mention, what do you think is an adequate or uh, a level of risk that is, uh, you know, a good idea to take for someone getting involved in our politics? Do you think that it has to be weighed against the reward of, you know, actually being able to get a position within, the, the you know, the halls of power? Or do you think that, you know, it, it's worth it just to get the message out there and raise the consciousness, so to speak. Um, you definitely have to be tactful about it. Like for for the vast majority of people out there, um, they should be getting involved in politics. They should be keeping their mouth shut about a lot of things in public and, you know, building their way up, building wealth, building power, uh, building up their network. Um and for the vast majority of people, that that is the route, and that is what people should be doing. Um, there definitely is a time and a place to have a presence, to have a political presence, a physical presence um, at rallies. Um, we are kind of lucky here in, in America because we have Trump, right? So we can have Trump rallies, and we can be America first at Trump rallies with tens of thousands of other people, um, and it just has you know, a, a, a even bigger effect, um, because our, our views are really not that far off of, um, the average MAGA, you know, we, we, we definitely are further right wing, but, um, you know, we probably agree with MAGA on a good, like 80%. So we, we kind of, um, um, are, are, we, we kind of have a, a good position here, um, in America. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that holding rallies where you're going to be uh, trying to look as scary as possible or try to be as angry as possible is the same thing as having a political presence. If anything, that's like a negative presence, right? Like you're not really helping anything. You're not really helping anybody. You're not changing any minds. Um, it's just kind of a waste and it's a negative um, so there is a time and a place to have a presence, um, IRL, but for the vast majority of people, it's like, you should be anonymous. You should be getting into politics. You, you, you should be joining up on some campaign, um, becoming a lawyer or something. Um, because really, again, you know, the, the power does not lie in the streets anymore. You know, this is in the 1920s. This is in the 1930s. We live a century later and the power lies within the people, you know, behind the screen. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll also just say this too. Um, people often think that, you know, they have to become like an e-celeb or uh, they have to start up a show and they got to just tell the world. They just got to shout it from the roof. Guilty as charged. Yeah. And it's just like. Um, you know, obviously I stream and stuff, um, but I don't think that really that's the most effective way. You know, I think that I have a role to play. Um, but like lately I've, I like doing things more so behind the scenes. 
And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll always be a front facing, uh, character, I think, because that's just kind of how I started. And that's the route that I went down. But, um, I would caution people against that because once you do that, you do kind of lose the element of surprise. You know, I could never get a job, um, as like, um, like, like a staffer or something. I, I could never be an intern for a congressman. I could, um, uh, maybe down the line when, uh, things change, like 40 years down the line, I could run for office or something, but definitely not now. Uh, so we, you know, we, we need people who, um, can just kind of learn how to shut up and understand that, okay, I'm red pilled. I have this knowledge. I have to use this knowledge tactfully and actually screaming it from the rooftops is going to blow my cover. And then I can't really do anything with it. You know, we have enough people who are, um, you know, pushing this propaganda online and red pilling people. Now we need people to act on it. And unfortunately, we live in a world where you can't really do both. You know, it's kind of like a two-tiered system here. Yeah, I would say to that, though, especially in our context, there isn't really anyone that is, uh, you know, speaking the message. There's Joel Davis. He's probably the biggest at the moment, although he's gone down a very specific route. He's talked about how he wants to build up an independent power source, that being independent communities of white national socialists gathered on a farmstead or something like that. Um, whereas I'm saying more so, you know, we need to pursue the America first method of getting involved in the parties, even though, and I don't know how familiar you are with our political system, our conservative party is so bad that it's called the liberal party. And I've heard uh, that. Yeah. Recently, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little quirk of our system that we've got the labor party, which is the left-wing party and the liberal party, which is the center right party. Uh, regardless um, what we have is they've recently, well, not recently, but over the last couple of years, they've kicked out people for being anti-abortion, for saying that they pray that abortion will end in Australia because following the Roe versus Wade decision in America, they've ha- kicked out people for saying that they don't believe in trans- transgenderism, that they only believe that there are two genders and lots of similar stuff where it's, you know, very centre-right talking points and they're, they've increasingly, you know, pushed them out of the party, um, Despite this, there are a lot of our guys that do know about the real situation with the world, that do have the correct worldview, um, that are embedded within the party, just they aren't able to get to the point where they're they're an outspoken candidate, for example. Um, We've got people who have, you know, been working for years to get into staffing positions and and stuff like this. Um, In this case, what would you recommend? Do you think that it's worth people continuing on and perhaps transforming the party from inside out? Or do you think that we should be, you know, getting to the position where we can, I don't know, I, I guess us secede from Australia and live on a farm or something like that? Um, I, I do think that it's a little bit different for Australia, um, just because you guys are so far away from um, the rest of the Western world, right? Um, so, I, you know, I... I, I don't really have an issue with the whole, you know, having a farm and building up your family thing. It's just, it, it, it's when you substitute one for the other. It's like, you can do both. You can have a family and you can buy a house. And hey, if you want to live out in the boonies instead of in an urban area, go for it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be building up your political capital at the same time. And I feel like, you know, 
um, there, there, there's a lot of Canadians that have the same mindset where it's like, oh, everything is messed up. Everything's fucked. So I'm just going to go off into the woods and I'm going to, you know, get some sheep or some pigs. and I'm going to have a farm and get some chickens and I'm going to eat raw eggs and have 12 kids. And um, it's just like, OK, like if you want to live the rural lifestyle, that's one thing. This doesn't um, simply make everything wrong with the world go away. Right. Um, now I do think that change is going to come from America. I mean, we are still the most powerful country in the world. We export our culture to all of the Western world. Um, other nations take political cues from us. Other populations take political cues from us. So I think that America is, um, how Australia is going to be fixed, how Canada is going to be fixed how much of Europe is going to be fixed. Uh, we need that, you know, Emperor Trump figure to come back and, you know, further cement this 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 mythos of like, okay, we have a strong man, leader of the free world, and now he's, you know, killing drug dealers. Now he's throwing traitors in jail. Now he's really starting to do things that's um, having an impact and it is not just the status quo. And I think that when the world starts to see that, you're going to see these ideas um, spread to these lesser these these lesser countries. I mean, you know, it, it might be hard for some Canadians or Australians to hear, but it don't really matter that much on the world stage. Like, it's really America, and to a lesser extent, London. And then, of course, you have the BRICS countries uh, that are starting to uh, matter a lot more. So it's like it has to come from America. Now, in the meantime, yeah, you know, you guys have to be building up your families. Um, but I do think that it's worthwhile to, um, you know, simultaneously build up your political capital and stay low key um, and you know, I, I understand if your liberal party sucks. Um, I, I think that you guys do have like a further right wing party, just super small, right? I I'd maybe try and network. One nation. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, it's very centralized. It's all run by this one woman who's quite old and she gets to pick everyone that gets to run. So there's not much hope of taking that over. Hence why I advocate getting involved in the liberal party more so. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that makes total sense then. If if that's your best option, then you just kind of got to roll with it, you know, um, because it doesn't sound like the Liberal Party or the One Nation Party are your solutions, right? So no. um, it's perhaps if it gives you a sneak peek into my thought process, I'm going to put out an article this week and hopefully it'll be very detailed to go over my whole strategy. Uh, not that I'm in the position to really execute all of it yet, but um, what I've been thinking is we really need to get our people into the Liberal Party and get them all the way up to running as candidates, winning their elections. And then once we have maybe six or seven candidates who are, you know, in Parliament, then we can all at once break away, form a minor party that already has political representation, which has been the problem that has hindered minor parties in the past, is that they'll be started by people who have never been elected before, that have no presence. I'll get 1% of the vote after a couple of years, run out of money and drop out completely. Um, or if they're like One Nation, they've just become a grifting organization. They spend all their money making cartoons and they don't really uh, do much else apart from that. They've 
completely pulled back on their rhetoric. They're not far right anymore. Um, they're very much center right, I suppose. The only they're like a they're like the most far left Republicans, I suppose you could say. Well, not the most far, but uh, they're they're like an ordinary Republican, I suppose. And so that's why I say get involved in the Liberal Party because at least you have a chance of winning your election and becoming a candidate. And then uh, either we do take over the party and the party becomes ours, which is a very far reach, I think, or we can start something that will actually have a chance of succeeding. Um, I don't know if this is anything that has any uh, precedence in any other cases you've seen, for example, Canada, UK but uh, or, or America, but... Uh, if you wanted to say anything about that, what do you think? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, that makes total sense. It, it, it's um, it's kind of like what a lot of groupers do with with TPUSA, right? Just on a on a lesser scale. It's like uh, groupers join TPUSA not because they agree with TPUSA. They join it to gain experience, meet people. Which I mean, like networking. That is so underrated in our scenes like people think that they just need to network with like the most edgy of the of the edgiest people that they can find where it's like you need to find people that can um be useful to you down the line and i don't mean that in like a schemey like scammy kind of way i mean i just mean that in like a political way um this is something that um i've come to know in my time in politics it's like the more people you know, the more people that can help you. And they can help you get jobs. They can help you get resources. They can help you meet other people who may be able to help you get jobs or resources. Like knowing people, um, even if they're a little bit you know, less right-wing than you, is so, so valuable. And if the liberal party is where the people are at, then there's no harm in knowing some liberal party people. Um, and then the other thing is resources too, right? It's like when the Groypers go into TPUSA and when, when they become uh, these these chapter leaders and they're running the entire TPUSA chapter for, for their college, um, they have access to TPUSA's money. They have access to their resources, to their speakers. And it's like, you know, it, again, it, it it's not because we like TPUSA. It's because... That's just, that's the scene that's been established. You know, I, I wouldn't go around calling myself a Republican. I would say that I'm America first. I'm going to go to Republican events, though, because that's that's our main right-wing party, right? Um, so, I you know, there, there's totally something to that. And, um, you know, I, I, I understand that on, on, on a surface level, it's not like the most based and red pill thing to do. Um, but it is the most politically effective and why not use free resource, free, free resources. If you can, uh, you know, why, um, kind of relegate yourself to this, like, um, you know, cheap rural lifestyle when you could be, um, doing something cool actually within politics. It just, it makes total sense to get involved with some of these bigger orgs that are all, that are already established. And, um, you know, kind of cement yourself inside them. And the, you know, high power th- aesthetic of, you know, suits and ties just looks way better than the wignat aesthetic of T-shirts and shorts and punching each other in a park. So there's also that to take into account. Um, Dalton, did you want to add any commentary? You're still hanging around on uh, in terms of strategy. 
Uh, no, not really. I'm just I'm just listening in. I I pretty much agree with Tyler. I think that they're because you guys have covered a lot, but specifically the the idea of detachment is very frustrating. This idea that you have to, for whatever reason, if you want to be politically effective, you have to separate yourself from the rest of the world. You have to separate yourself from society and ostracize yourself. Uh, that just seems silly and, and sort of backwards. I mean, in, in my opinion, uh, the best way to go about doing things and getting involved in things is by kind of putting yourself in the middle of what's going on. So, you know, th- this kind of goes in, and this is not necessarily a political or whatever, but like the idea of us all as, as white people being pushed out of, of urban areas, it, like that's frustrating to me. You know, I'm not going to sit there and tell people you have to stay in these shitty areas because, you know, you don't want to lose. But at the same time, like, you know, it's only going to continue to progress. You know, it's happening to the suburbs right now. That's why people are fleeing uh, suburban areas there. They've already fled the urban areas. And now these urban areas are, are, are no, I wouldn't say disgusting. I mean, I do think there's beauty there. Uh, but obviously, it's they're, they're not what they once were. And it's like, well, I mean, white people decided to leave. White people decided to abandon uh, where they where they grew up, where their heritage was, where, where their, where generations before them lived, you know? So it's like, you can take the same idea and my frustration with that into politics. Why seed ground <coughs> where there is ground to be gained, where there, where we can apply defense? Why, why abandon uh, turning point USA when it is a, a, a phenomenal way to network and to gain influence within the modern day establishment uh, right wing. Why would you say, oh, I'm going to ostracize myself. I'm going to ban myself. Essentially, that's what people want to do. They want to ban themselves from platforms. There are people that I, I guarantee it. There are people using Gab right now that have access to their Twitter accounts. There are people using Truth Social that have access to their Twitter accounts. There are people that are choosing not to get involved uh, in mainstream conservative organizations because they feel like, well, it's not really what I support. It's like, I'm not saying that's what you support. Nobody says that. the, The point is to infiltrate, to gain power, to garner influence, to network with effective and powerful people. This whole idea of banning ourselves, ostracizing ourselves and, and abandoning uh, uh, places and things, it's it's doomed from the start and, and, and it's a losing strategy. So when I hear Tyler and, and many others, I mean, I, I feel like we're really the only people on the right wing, the only group, the only movement on the right wing that has successfully analyzed this and, and has come to the right conclusion. So when I hear people talk about it, it's like, yes, this is a message that really needs to be spoken um, outwardly more often uh, than than I think we even do, because this is what's crippling us. This is what has crippled right wing movements uh, since the dawn of time. This has crippled uh, countless conservative nationalist movements in this country. The idea of abandoning what we already have when we have it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, it's worth pointing out that no one actually does pursue these strategies. We waste time or these other people waste time talking about, you know, you've got to become a tradie, you've got to move out to the middle of nowhere, or, you know, you've got to, you've got to become independent, you've got to, 
you know, keep no wealth because that's going to be taken from you by the international financial system, blah, blah, blah. And then no one actually pursues that. That's just something that gets talked about. No one's actually giving up their life near their family to go be a revolutionary in the outback. You know, it's a, it's sort of a ridiculous uh, thought. Uh, only the most fringe sort of unhinged personalities would even consider it. Uh, to shift gears maybe a little bit, um, unless I, I saw Dalton wanted to say something. Oh, no, no, sorry. My, my mic was me. Oh, good. Oh, no stress. I was going to say to shift gears a little bit. I know with America first, the strategy has been that you'd like to see, in terms of geopolitics, you'd like to see the American regime uh, humiliated and go into decline because it will give you further leverage to act domestically against it. I would say that in the Australian context, and I don't know, maybe the the Canadian context as well, um, I would actually like to see the regime in some ways gain in terms of geopolitical power because it would mean that we would be able to stand separately from America. For example, we're, we're not a nuclear power. If we were to gain nukes, we would not longer need uh, America to, or to be so reliant upon America in order to defend ourselves. And there's, it's conceivable that we could get rid of some of the American influence within our government and within our media, perhaps even by extension, though you guys produce all the best movies. So I don't know how that's going to exactly work, but uh, that's something that I support. Does that sound reasonable to you, Tyler, or do you think that that's... Uh, that's a counterintuitive um you know i i've actually changed my mind on uh this idea very recently nick totally red-pilled me on this and um you know i don't have any issue with other countries nationalists of course um but i used to say all the time like the whole you know nationalism for every country kind of thing if you want to be a ugandan nationalist go for it you know if if you want to be an Indian nationalist, go for it. We, we need more nationalists in the world. Um, I, well, I still think that's acceptable. Um, I do think that America having control over the lesser Western countries um, makes everybody in the West more powerful. Um, I mean, quite clearly, I think that America... Um, as the last country that's really standing, that really um, has a chance to turn things around and be the catalyst for all the other countries, it's kind of like clearly there's a culture here. There's uh, the people here um, that know how to lead. And um, I just think like, you know, go, going back to Canada, it's like Canada is a, quite frankly, useless country. They have like one submarine, they have like two helicopters in their military. Like, <laughs> they, they're really nothing. They're propped up by, by the UN, by this, you know, international political force. And it's like, um, at this point, for me, it, it's really America or nothing. And I want to see a American empire, um, kind of keep its hold on, uh, these, these lesser countries. I know it's far-fetched, but I'd, I'd even like to see Canada annexed one day by America. And, um, you know, obviously... Of course, you would be appointed dictator of that region. Of course, once that happens, of course, right? yes. Of course. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just have kind of come to the conclusion that, um, well, like, yeah, it's, it's totally fine to be a nationalist in your own country. Um, I think that having an American empire is just kind of the best route and it would be really cool and um i just kind of see these more useless countries as like 
um, just kind of there. You know, they didn't really do anything. They rolled over when when shit got tough. And now the Americans are supposed to come in and save the entire West and then just say, oh, yeah, you guys just like do 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 uh, your, your whole thing again. It's like, I don't know. These countries rolled over and they gave up and they allowed this to happen. Maybe America's way of doing things is just correct. I have to disagree. I mean, uh, I think that's my responsibility as a loyal Australian patriot. I have to push back on that in that I I do support Australian sovereignty. Uh, We've always been under the control of either the UK and now America, I suppose, in terms of these issues. So I'd like to see us push away. It really has been the American influence and I suppose to some degree in an earlier part of our history, the British influence that sort of um, that led us to this point of decline where we have, you know, gay marriage and all these things. And, you know, we're, we're being racially and demographically replaced in our country. All these things sort of came as an influence of American culture in that even until the 1970s, we had a whites only immigration policy, which is, I, I think that's sort of hard to understand for most other countries, how recent that is. And until uh, I think only 20 years ago, it was still illegal to be gay in Tasmania and, uh, and all these things, you would still be put in prison. So uh, it's worth considering that we really only got yanked along. We might have uh, taken a longer time than some other countries because of our distance and, uh, and whatnot, but uh, eventually we were pulled along by this American influence. And so I see the waning of that influence is uh, hugely beneficial to us. And um, I I think that maybe, you know, it would be good if America does become a Christian theocracy, dictatorship, you know, blah, 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 that, uh, you know, it would be great for America to have influence over here. But I see that as even a long shot um, with the America First Movement success. And uh, I think that if we're we're being fully realistic as things stand, the right course to pursue would be independence um, for Australia. I, I don't know. Is that is that a heterodox to you? I mean, it, it, it totally makes sense because you're Australian, right? Um, so, like, I, I totally get it. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, okay, the the year is, you know, 2045 and Baron Trump travels to Australia and says, I am your king. What, you're going to say no? You're, 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 you're going to look Baron Trump in the face and say no? You are not my king, Baron Trump. I'm, king Charles III awesome. will do that, it before Baron badass. Trump. The royalty is going to sweep in. We're going to have a patriot king. He's going to liberate us before then. And he's going to liberate Canada. We're going to unite the Anglosphere under cancer. <laughs> and then we're going to liberate America, okay? That's how it's going to play out. <laughs> yeah. No, no. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's probably not realistic somehow. But um, anyway, um, if you wanted to talk about anything else i'm open to it but um apart from that maybe we can open up to some of the listeners if anyone had questions that they want to ask are you open with that uh tyler uh sure yeah um i i I do just want to say one last thing here before we dive into some callers um you know i i don't think that um there necessarily has to be so much like animosity between a lot of these distant right-wing groups um i think that half of the you know, half of what's going on is kind of like an IQ filter. Um, I think that a lot of the smarter people kind of understand our way of doing things. And they understand that 
okay, yeah, maybe becoming like some plumber in a rural town somewhere isn't like what we should be aspiring to like this, you know, trailer trash, like, um, just, just settling for whatever mindset we, we should be shooting for the stars when it comes to our politics. And, um, I think that the smarter people will kind of see that with that said, I don't really think that, you know, groups, whether it's Patriot Front or, any of the other wingnut groups should be being arrested or uh, treated unfairly by this current government. Um, it's just kind of like people got to get their shit together. They got to fall in line. You know, they want to say that they believe in hierarchy until it, you know, becomes time to actually participate in that hierarchy. And everybody, um, you know, thinks that they're correct. And I, I totally get that. But Quite clearly, you know, I think that Nick and America First has paved the way for every other dissident right-wing group around the world, really. And, you know, Nick really has that, um, the, the, the entire playbook down pat. And it's just like, if they would take that and run with it, um, I think that that would be beneficial for everybody. So, you know, I, I don't really think that, you know, there has to be any animosity it's more so just kind of like every couple of years or so we have to, you know, get back into this conversation. We have to remind people like, hey, this has been tried before. OK, these street groups going out into the boonies, you know, living on your farm. It's been done. It's been tried. It does nothing. Um, it is the opposite of what we need to be doing. And um, again, obviously it's wrong what's happening to a lot of these distance around the world. But you kind of reap what you sow and uh, hopefully more people can learn from this and kind of adopt our tactics and get in line um, because we really have to get a move on and change in the world here. Yeah, and it's worth considering that as you rise through the system, if you're doing it in a sort of a uh, you know covert way, if you're being tactful with how you speak, then you will make the connections that will lead to you having more business opportunities, especially in the major parties. And so you can get that wealth that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be working at the same time, you could uh, also get to a point where you're financially independent. And so you don't need to go live out on a farm to be separated from society. You can have that, uh, that safety cushion of having, you know, large income or having assets. So that's also worth taking into account. Okay, um, I, who wants to speak? I'll open up the floor now to you guys. Does I want to hear from some Australians and, I don't know, one or two Americans maybe, as long as they're going to be very respectful of Australia. All right, and uh, we've got, what's your name? McEncrow, and you've got an Australian flag in your name, so I know what you're about to say is going to be very intelligent and insightful. There you go. Yeah, not too bad. What did you want to speak about? That whole American empire, um, isn't the whole point of this movement to go back to your roots, not to start a new empire to take over these lesser countries? What's that about? Boo, that's boring. We want to see empires. We like Imperium, okay? You want an American empire in Australia? No, I want an Australian empire. Oh, Australian empire would be right. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're the new Britannia in the southern land. Anyway, we're gonna. What we're gonna do is we're gonna terraform the outback. We're gonna then boost our population to a hundred or so million. 
uh, obviously, after we get rid of our, de- we solve our demographic problem, we get rid of you know the hundred billion Im- Indians that they want to bring in. We we put them back in India peacefully, and um, then after that, then we're going to have the Australian Empire, and there's nothing that America can do about it because by then, all of their major cities will be controlled by blacks, and there's nothing that they're going to be able to do about it. Yeah, I don't know about that because you you guys have. Um all those abos, all those like weird nostril abo people. And they're probably going to burn down your cities eventually too. Okay. So no, they sleep on the road. I don't think we have much to worry about from them. They sort of take their gas in, in Sydney right now. And they're going to gas the entirety of Melbourne. Hey, it's we're going to have Aberwaffen. Aberwaffen will be deployed against America. Okay. They will solve the African-American <laughs> crime problem. <laughs> <laughs> we already have Norforce. They're doing border security, okay? Maybe that's why we have so many asylum seekers in boats landing on our shore. But we've got Aboriginals running Norforce over here. Anyway, um, so thank you for that, McEnroe. Uh, I see Robert Tate is requesting. Should I add him? Let's have a look. Robert Tate. You got the mic. On, on the question of Australia, how important would you say the Jewish influence is in Australia compared to Europe or, or America? I don't think it's to the extent of America. We have a smaller population. I think it's less than 1%. Um, they don't necessarily feel, like fill up the political positions like they do in America either. But in terms of... Um, in terms of the financial elite, they are they make up a disproportionate amount of the wealthiest con- people in the country. They also yeah. are involved in a lot of the lobbying groups. So we have the most powerful uh, Zionist lobby group in Australia is the AIJAC, the Australian oh. Israel Jewish uh, something something something. Anyway, so they are run by Mark Liebler, who has just been a notorious anti-Australian, anti-white activist for years, and so he's a very high-powered lawyer. And he has bounced around a lot of these Zionist groups as head. But he's also, he was a massive advocate for the voice to parliament, which was a recent uh, attempt to have Aboriginals have sort of their own, uh, you could say, fifth column within the Australian government in which they'd be able to exert influence. And so he was actually a massive proponent of this, along with a lot of other Jewish groups. We had Avir Drahimovic, which is the head of the Anti-Defamation Commission, which is our version of the Anti-Defamation League from America. They're both started by Benai Barith, the same group. And he was also, you know, he runs a lot of schools, uh, school programs in Victoria in which they promote multiculturalism and all of these things. But he's also a staunch Zionist. So we've got Mark Lieber and Avid Drahimovic, I think are really emblematic of this problem. And they, they're all supportive of Aboriginal rights and anti-colonialism over here. But when it came to the Israel-Gaza conflict, They've been out there every day talking about how, you know, they fully throw their weight behind Israel. They support the Israeli government's, you know, attack on Palestinians. And they they don't seem to support a voice to Palestinians over there in Israel. They don't support a fifth column being added to the Israeli government yeah. made up of oppressed minorities, which seems strange. I wonder why that is. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so they, they have uh, influence within politics. They shake hands with lots of prime ministers. Um, but yeah, you, you also, that's a, a big part of it. They're also influential in 
you could say property as well. That's that's another uh, thing that has been talked about. There are articles on the Occidental Observer which talk about this by a great writer, Jason Cannon, um, and he, he goes into depth on this topic. But yeah, it, it's definitely present. Um, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's quite as bad as America. I think a lot of the influence of this community, of the Jewish community, actually comes from America's influence in Australia. But thanks for the question. Yeah. Thank you. And in the culture, like all all the soaps in Australia, like they've gone completely gay and politically correct. Presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, that, I don't know about yeah, their yeah. involvement in the uh, ABC. Actually, I think recently they replaced a pil- uh, Palestinian who was, you know, opposing uh, Israel from our national broadcast, oh, the ABC. Yeah. So there's clearly some influence. I think even the new chairperson was either someone who was sympathetic to uh, Zionism or is themselves Jewish. Um, so yeah, that's that's also worth taking into account. Um, our our sort of cultural, our TV shows and stuff that just aren't really viewed as much as American content. There are some stuff. There's like all the the degenerate, uh, you know, sort of Love Island. I don't know if you guys have that. Married at First Sight. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. sort of uh, ongoing reality shows. It's just mind numbing. Um, but yeah, we have all that sort of stuff. That's probably the most influential. That and sport are really our only cultural. Uh, you know, exports in that regard. Yeah, thank you. All good. That sort of brings us to the end. Tyler, did you have anything to add to any of uh, those comments? What's the Jewish community's influence like in Canada? Was it sort of proportionate to Australia or is it more like America? Um, it's it's definitely less obvious than, than um, America. Um, America definitely is kind of like the epicenter of all that. Um, but... Uh, there's still a massive Jewish influence within Canada too. It's like at any of the conservative media companies um, in Canada, uh, you have uh, Rebel News, you have True North, and you have the Post Millennial, and every single one of them is Jewish. Of course, with Rebel News, you have Ezra Levant. Um, with True North, you have Candace Malcolm and her husband. Um, and then with the post millennial, it's run by three guys, two of them are Jewish and one of them is not. Um, but, but he is a Zionist, of course. Um, and then when you dive into, uh, the funding of the conservative party, a lot of these connections, um, you know, you, you kind of see this, this network of like these Malay, Bukele, uh, type funders. It all kind of goes back to Israel, you know, just take a look at what Malay did, uh, within his first week, he goes to Israel. He's crying at the Wailing Wall. It's all these same guys. And, um, you know, Nick has been talking about this a lot on his show lately. And he does a fantastic job at at explaining this 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 new kind of like Zionist network uh, that is going on, that is funding a lot of these things. And um, that's, that's really where you see it in Canada, too, um, is behind the scenes, within the media, and there's no getting around it. You know, there, there isn't a single uh, Canadian conservative media company that is not just straight up, you know, Israeli, that is not just straight up Jewish. And we all know, you know, what they think um, about Christians. We know what they want to do. I mean, it's been going on for how long now? So, um, yeah, it, it's it, it's definitely not as forward facing. You know, we, we don't have like a Hollywood or anything in Canada. Right. So it's like. Um, it's not going to be as obvious um, as within America's culture, but it's it's one thousand percent there, and they're thriving, and they've taken hold just as they have in every other country. 
Yeah, we also have the Rebel News virus over here. We've got uh, Avi Yamini. I don't know if you've seen him. Dude, Avi, Avi Yamini sucks yeah, so well, hard. That's our guy. That guy that's is who they deployed insane. to Australia. Well, he's, he was former IDF, if it doesn't get any more on the nose. And yep. yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Uh, I don't know who else we have. We have uh, this guy, this Russian. Um, I don't want to say operative because he sues people for that. But he is just like a full Russia patriot called the Aussie Cossack. And he, um, yeah, he, he's probably the other sort of boomercon influence in the alt media space. But yeah, we've got these two sort of like foreign influence operations being run and there's not much we can do about it in that regard except for build our own alternative. Um, but yeah, they, as far as I know, the revenue stream from Rebel News, a lot of it comes from suing people and sort of um, and getting, getting uh, the money from that and that's how they fund the whole media thing. Is that correct? Um, there's definitely an element of that in, in Canada, it was more so they would just like scam boomers, um, like straight up every week. It would be Ezra Levant sends you an email. We need a hundred thousand dollars right now because this Patriot is in trouble. And then, um, like none of the money ever goes to the person who they were, who, who they were like raising it for. Um, you know, there, there was this one guy, um, I think his name was, I'm trying to think, I think his name was John. I forget his last name, but, but he was one of the Coots four and you guys might've heard about the Coots four. Um, it was four guys who were arrested during the trucker convoy out in Coots, Alberta, um, because they had guns and body armor and just a bunch of shit in their RV, um, that they were blockading the border with and obviously disavow that do not bring guns and body armor in an RV to a protest. Bro thought he was at J6. He thought that he was going to be storming the Capitol. You know, we shouldn't have to say that. But regardless, um, you know, Ezra was raising money for them because, like, they really didn't do anything wrong. It was just, like, stupid, you know, shit, really. Um, So Ezra was partially covering that. He started to raise money. And then um, it turns out that, oh, he was just raising money to go out there and cover the story. It wasn't actually for uh, that guy. So it's stuff like that. You know, they scam people all the time. And, um, you know, I'm unsubscribed now, but I I, I was getting their emails when, when I was in Canada. And it was literally just every week, a new fundraiser. Give us $50,000. Give us $100,000. We need it right now. Democracy depends on this or whatever. Um, so it, it was it was more so that type of stuff than uh, the suing that, that, that I've seen anyways. Yeah, right. Either way, it's equally nefarious. And, you know, I guess if they were suing actual enemies, it would be okay. But I don't, I don't really know who they target. I suppose they just target people who insult their hosts sometimes. Um, they had this one where Avi Mini, he actually unmasked this an anonymous Twitter user who was like the guy's insufferable is this left-wing shield labor, um, you know, devotee. And he unmasked him by, you know, suing him in the courts, made him show his face or something like that, or at least say his name. And the guy he sort of, he did it in the, in the funniest way possible. He came out on one of our biggest left-wing YouTubers and the guy, the, the guy's called Friendly Geordies. That's the YouTuber. And um, what he did is he overlaid uh, the guy's face with like this clear watermark that says Avi threw a chopping board at his former wife or something like that. 
And because Avi has got in trouble with the law for apparently throwing chopping boards and fighting with his wife or something like that, He's, he was divorced. And so they couldn't really use that footage much, the Rebel News, that is, which is, uh, that's kind of funny, actually. I think that's what anyone else should do if they're forced to be unmasked by Avi and Mini. But um, anyway. Dub leftists. Yeah, that, leftists they, that, that brings me to the end of the space. Thanks for joining me, Tyler. Um, maybe we'll have you back on a future episode one day. Would you like to plug all of your social media? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, Cozy.tv slash Tyler Russell, of course. Rumble.com um, slash Tyler Russell. Um, here on Twitter. Follow me here on Twitter if you guys aren't following already. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Tyler L. Russell, on Gab at Tyler L. Russell, even though I don't really use Gab anymore, but it's still there. Um I think that's about it. Um, I stream like all the time, you know, just kind of sporadically throughout the week. So you'll, you'll usually find me on cozy.tv. Uh, but thank you very much for having me. W space. Thank you for joining us. The replay will be uploaded to the national observer.co. Um, or if you want to be more specific, the national observer.co slash podcast. So if you subscribe over there, then you can get all of our articles and all of that. If you want to learn more about the Australian dissident, right. If you want the Sweet. the peak in the game, like I guess if anyone's listening. So uh, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for talking a little bit, Dalton as well. Thank you to the guests, and especially thank you to Tyler. Have a great week. Bye.